This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Set me free. Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. It's Mike Janung here, and, and we're going to jump right into this. We, uh, we're a ministry that helps people who are in bondage to porn addiction, adultery, other types of sexual sin, and we offer groups and counseling, and the ministry started in 2000. And over the years, as I've been talking to people and counseling people, both men and women, I've been seeing a lot of the same themes that were starting to really shock me and starting to question some things. So I'm going to start by sharing some of those. And right off the bat, what I would see when I'm working with people is the very first words a lot of them would say is, I have no one to talk to. How can it be that a church that preaches God's word is stuffed with isolated believers? When I go and speak, do public speaking, I'll sometimes ask everybody in the audience to raise their hands. If they meet with another brother or sister once a week, and usually only around 15, maybe 20% raise their hands. So what we see a lot of is that a lot of God's people are isolated. When you're isolated, um, the chances are a lot higher you're going to be doing the Christian life in your flesh. You're going to be a lot more prone to getting hit with temptation and spiritual warfare. You're going to be a lot easier pickings. There are no isolated Christians in God's economy, and Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And from the very beginning, Genesis 2, it is not good that man should be alone. So we're not meant to be isolated believers, but when we're walking with people who are struggling with porn and these other issues, isolation feeds the problem. So this is a serious issue. Another thing we see a lot of is that there are a lot of believers who have little to no prayer life. When I talk about prayer life. I'm not talking about two minutes in the morning saying, God, be with me and bless my family. I'm talking about digging in prayer with an hour a day, 45 minutes a day, every single day, sometimes even more. And we've even worked with people who don't know, can barely get the words out of our mouth because when I'm working with people, sometimes I'll often have them pray at the end of the time together and Sometimes like ba- they barely even know what to say, and how can it be that prayer, which is our most powerful weapon, there are so many people who are not being equipped in this area. And then uh, another thing we see a lot of is there are a lot of what I call head Christians. And a head Christian is somebody who knows all the theology, a lot of Bible verses, um, 
they can quote it back and forth, and they've done a lot of study. Maybe they go to churches with the do verse-by-verse Bible study, and they've had a lot of solid teaching, or, but um, the problem is they've never learned to look at their heart. And so these people are coming to us for help, and their lives are a train wreck, even though they know a lot of Scripture. And I'll give, I'm going to read a quote now from John Piper. A lot of, some of you know that John Piper is like the A-game. He's in the major leagues when it comes to doctrine and theology. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for him and, and believe a lot in what he's his teaching. And this is his quote. <clears throat> he says, How many Christians do you really see bent with all their powers to know God more and more, more truly, more clearly, more sweetly? Some of you might say there are as many PhDs in theology who commit adultery as those who do, do not have a PhD in theology. And then what Piper says, to which I would say probably more. Why is it that people with PhDs in theology commit adultery? Because they don't know God. You can read theology 10 hours a day for 40 years and not know God as beautiful and all-satisfying as the highest treasure of your life. Who cares about knowing God the way the devil knows him? He hates everyone. His knowledge of God helps him hate people. And we see this all the time where people do not have a passionate love relationship with the Lord. Because if I have that, you know, we're still going to struggle with temptation and the battle and, and all that. And we still are stuck with this flesh. But when you have that, it really changes everything. But when all you are is a head Christian and you've got an empty heart, then what happens is you're walking the Christian life in the flesh, which makes you prone to temptation, falling, stumbling, and the worst sin of all, which is pride. And a lot of people have this misconceived notion that the sexual sins are the worst there are. And let me tell you, if you go look in Proverbs, in the top seven sins God hates, there's nothing sexual in there. Number one is pride. And so those of us who are the head Christians, you know, heavy on the teaching, but with empty, pride-driven, legalistic hearts, we, we see a lot of this and we walk them through. Hey, let's take a look at real, what's really going on in your heart. What do you, what do you really believe? And uh, another thing that we see a lot of is there are a lot of Christians who are not equipped for spiritual warfare. They're not equipped for the battle that they find themselves in, especially today. And I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a doctor I knew, a friend of mine, fellow believer in Christ, uh, a lot of respect for him. We went to the same church 20 years ago, and I met with him a little while ago, and, you know, it, in our ministry helping the sexually broken, I mean, warfare is, you know, kind of a part of the game here, being on a frontline ministry, and I was telling him a little bit about it, and he just looks at me and says, I struggle with the idea that there even is spiritual warfare. How could you struggle with that idea when from the very beginning in Genesis 3, Satan launches an attack on the human race and basically takes over? And this is a part of the problem in churches that do not go after the hard issues and don't realize that part of our role in the church is to equip people to be fighters and warriors. 
There's so many people we talk to, they think that everything they're going through is their own thoughts. They don't understand that the enemy has the power to throw thoughts at will in their mind. So the enemy has them in bondage, sometimes to torment, to shame, to fear, and to bitterness, to lust, to a lot of different things. And they haven't been equipped on how to fight and stand up and take up their authority in Christ and fight the good fight. So as I've been seeing these things and more, these are just a few of the things, um, I also started kind of looking around and thinking about where we are today, and things were just lining up. So what this show is about today is to take a look at where we are in the church, where our country is, and then the next show, we're going to get into some biblical action steps that each one of us can take. And so I'm going to get into some areas on what does our country look like today? What is, what is the battle we find ourselves in? Because if we don't understand completely what the war zone looks like, then we have no idea how to approach that. And what has happened is after decades of a seeker-friendly mentality and worrying about how people feel and not making them comfortable and taking out the hard truths and not equipping people, what has happened is the enemy is stampeded in like Germany stampeded into France and other countries in World War II, and he's a massive amount of ground. So what I mean by that is I'm talking about the occult has taken massive ground in the U.S. On August 18th of 2018, the Satanic Temple erected a statue in the Arkansas State Capitol. Then four months later, they did the same thing again in the Illinois State Capitol. Have you heard, did you hear much of a squeak out of the church when this happened? Netflix, if you go on Netflix and you peruse their movie listings, there's a ton of horror shows and occult listings and things that glorify witchcraft. A couple years ago, they had a show called Lucifer, which was promoted and, and highlighted and you know a lot of people watched and... Recent studies have shown that, well, I'll just start with saying, in 1990, there was maybe 8,000 witches reported in the U.S. Today, that number is approaching 1.5 million. This is just one signal showing that something has really gone wrong. And there are a lot of Christians who are watching this stuff at home, watching movies that have to do with the occult and playing games and messing around, and they don't know that they're playing with fire. And there's also, today, there's Christian witches that are cropping up. Um, one of their prophets recently stated that the Bible's just a huge book of sorcery. You can't get around that. You go out into some stores today, and, and I've seen you know books of spells right there on an end cap. My daughters and I, when we went Christmas shopping, you know, last year, we saw we saw a whole section devoted to the occult right there in the open. So we're not doing anything, saying anything about these things. We're just, you know, throwing the door wide open to all this stuff. Violence, I'm not going to get into this a lot, but um, it used to be where uh, mass shootings would horrify and shock and traumatize the entire country. Remember that shooting at the high school in Columbine a couple of decades ago. Well, now it's become, it's become something like you almost see every week 
and we become so numb and anesthetized to this that we become a total country of violence. And then there's the sexual arena. The U.S. is the number one producer and consumer of pornography. And when COVID hit, uh, you know, early this year, I mean, really hit hard around March, Pornhub, the largest website, porn website in the world, reported that their their visits shot up 25%. And we got super busy at the same time right after that, which tells you there's a lot of people at the church that are struggling with this. Sex robots are now a thing. Um, prostitutes are complaining that sex robots are stealing their business. So for three to seven thousand dollars, you can, you know, pick up the machine of your dreams. And uh, the the church is not immune. Not only not immune to this, we're floundering in it. Just the rest of the world is. And a little while ago, the Barna Group partnered up with Josh McDowell Ministries and. They took a survey, and what they found was that 68% of church-going men and more than 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. Google Trends um, puts out a statistical research report about once a year, and, and what they found is the... The states with the largest searches for porn are the states with the largest concentrations of religious organizations and churches. So that tells you that the church is one of the porn industry's biggest customers. Sexting has become a problem in teens. In that survey that Barna took, they found that 62% of teens and young adults have received a sext, uh, you know, a text with sexually explicit pictures from somebody they know. When we lived in Colorado, there was a big scandal that broke loose in a high school where it was discovered that 150 students, you know, teenagers and into the junior high years, had been discovered sending texts like this with naked pictures to each other. And the parents, you know, were outraged and throwing a fit. And I'm thinking, you're outraged and you have no idea what your kid's been doing and this is a part of the problem when we give our kids smartphones with wide open internet access and don't even think to put any kind of app on it we're you know we're acting asking a kid with no emotional or the emotional maturity of a teenager and telling them no don't go in places you shouldn't or not even say anything at all and this is have a profound effect on our youth and then in the U.S., sex trafficking, sexual abuse, and child porn have taken root in the country, but not only in the country and in the church. And it used to be that sex trafficking was something you think of with Thailand or you know a country um, in Asia, but today they, there's estimates of between 300,000 and 1.5 million of our youth, mainly young girls, are being sex trafficked every year. Problem is, only one percent of these crimes are ever reported. So the numbers could actually be much higher. But this is not just a outside the church problem. Every single week, uh, a Sunday school teacher, or a pastor, or somebody in the church, a trusted leader, leadership position, is arrested for child pornography. 
Um, not long ago, a father of five, a church leader, was sentenced to life in prison for grooming a 14-year-old girl to have sex with him and sharing with her with two other pastors. In the, the church that we went to in the 80s, we had a huge scandal when it was discovered that one of the deacons had molested 17 kids. So why am I, why am I bringing all this up? Because I want to emphasize again, we have to confront ourselves with the scope of this problem and confront ourselves with the idea that church is the way we're doing it, has failed and not working, and we have to change. In addition to all that, the suicide rate is skyrocketing. You can look at the news and the laws that have been passed um, approving of sexually sexual issues that legal issues that exalt what God would call sexual sin. Socialism is creeping in the U.S. and I don't want to keep getting to all these things because you're going to like want to cry and I want to throw up as it is reading this, but all this to, to kind of give you a picture of we're in a real serious pickle here. States have been um, legalizing all forms of abortion all the way to the end. So the question is, do you hear any of this mentioned in church? And why not? We are in desperate straits right now in serious need of spiritual waking and why isn't this stuff being opened up in the church and so what i want to get into right now is is why why have we lost our salt what has happened to us that all this stuff is just stampeded and rolled right in and we're just not doing anything about it we're just sitting there like spectators watching some kind of reality tv show so to, for the answer to this you have to go back to the 90s when the seeker friendly movement began and churches began assuming a position that the only thing we talk about is um, things that do not offend, that do not make anybody uncomfortable. In Christian media, you hear the term positive and encouraging used a lot. And as soon as you wipe out the hard issues, what you've done is you've stopped equipping people on how to overcome sin, on how to be spiritual warriors, on how, and, and you're not giving them a life and a faith worth dying for. When, when Barnapol said that 61, 61% of 20-year-olds who attended church in their teen years no longer read their Bible, pray, or attend church, that's a massive amount of our youth that are checking out because we have watered down the message so much that there's no power to it. There's, we're not challenging people to take their faith, to sacrifice themselves, to take everything to the next level. I want to read you a quote. I actually have this in my new book, The Road Christian. It says, In the late spring and early summer of 1940, it became clear that France was woefully unprepared for the German onslaught. France suffered a humiliating, humiliating defeat and was quickly occupied by Germany. Its failure was a result of a hopelessly divided French political elite, a lack of quality military leadership, and rudimentary French military tactics. We are lacking leadership today that is willing to take people out of their comfort zones 
and really hone in on the sins that people are in bondage to and equip them to be warriors and fighters and to minister to them in their pain and in their shame. But I want to give you the real core issue of why we've lost our salt. So in 1 Corinthians 5, first two verses, Paul is confronting the Corinthian church for the sexual sin of one man. And he writes, is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. And this is the reason why. He says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. What do you think Paul would have done today if he'd have came into one of our churches and saw that wide swaths of our believers are in bondage and viewing pornography two-thirds every single, you know, all the time, every week, and we are doing nothing. The guy, I can imagine him freaking out and saying, what are you doing? And ripping his robe and it's like, what's, what's wrong with you? And the reason he gave is because you're arrogant. How many of us are really mourning these days? How many of us are really crying, brokenhearted for all? That is happening in our country. And so Paul gives the reasons. One, we're arrogant. And wh- why would be, we be arrogant? Well, we, we're the U.S., right? We're the American church. We send missionaries all over the world. We got these big buildings and the, and the world's greatest preachers, right? Hey, nothing's going to go wrong on our watch. Meanwhile, we're watching the whole thing collapse. We're arrogant. Our focus is on the wrong Things. What, what do you hear a lot about in the news these days? Um, congregations are fighting for the right to meet in their buildings. Do you see that going on in the early church? What you see in the early church is people meeting all over the place and praying all the time, and that church changed the world. We're a prayerless church in general because how often do you go to a church on Sunday and spend any time on prayer other than God, please bless our service. So, and what has that led to? What has our response been? I don't see much in the way of a sense of urgency today. What voice do you hear saying Sunday morning or anywhere saying, we are in the midst of a moral collapse, and if we don't put people on our knees... And if we don't start facing our sin and our arrogance and our pride, everything is going to be lost. You don't hear that happening. What you do hear a little bit of is we need to pray and repent. Repent of what? Why is it nobody saying what we need to be, be repenting of? Um, and I've just given you, you know, a chunk of it. And, but, you know, if you went the top five, it's the sexual arena, it's the pride and the arrogance. And another one that we see a lot of is spiritual abuse. See, what's happened in the whole seeker-friendly movement is we've lost our heart. We've lost our passion for the Lord. We haven't challenged people to take our Christian life to the next level. And, you know, verse-by-verse teaching is great, but we have to take up the mantle that we're about setting captives free, bringing the prisoners out of prison, prison, what we do Teaching God's word is just a part of what the how. It's not our mission and it's not our purpose. 
And I'm going to leave you with a quote by Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to India in the 1900s. She writes, I have told you how much we need your help for the work among the lost, but often we feel we need it almost as much for the work among the Christians. Over and over again it is told, but still it is hardly understood, that the Christians need to be converted. The vast majority are not converted and that statistics, lead, statistics mislead and do not stand, and many Christians do not stand for eternity work. Many a pastor or a teacher has a name to live but is dead, and the church as a whole is dead. This is written by a woman who gave everything, gave her life really, to, to minister to God's people in a very dark region. And so, I know this was a heavy, heavy show, and next week uh, we're going to get into some answers. But I want to emphasize again, we have to face that we're not who we think we are. Next week we're going to go rogue, and we're going to start making some changes. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.